0: Of two minds on this episode. On the one hand, this is the beginning of Alan Croker's run in Star Trek. He's a... I've talked about many directors over my years, but most of them are directors that are basically of, well, the old guard, basically, right? People who kind of started directing in in TNG and then did a little bit of Voyager in DS9, but that's it. The late guard directors I don't give enough credit to. Uh, and I admit that's my fault. It's mostly because I just don't have as much exposure to their work. But Alan Croker, if you look up his list, I'm not going to tell you, it's like 40 episodes uh, across Voyager and DS9. He does a ton of stuff and some good stuff, too. So he does a pretty good job with this one, and it'll be it's good to see him getting off on what is effectively a strong episode. And it's an episode that focuses on Rom. And O'Brien! Both of them are awesome characters, played by awesome actors, who are very likable and very charismatic. So, we have a very strange situation, because I still don't actually quite like this episode as much as I want to. As much as I enjoy individual moments. At the end of the day, it's an episode about paw rates. <sighs> this is the first real introduction to the paw rates. They were mentioned, I believe I pointed this out, they were mentioned once, way back in God, season one, I think. <laughs> where, where the Paw are referred to as like little imp creatures. But here, we actually encounter and interact with the Paw race, played by Rosalind Chow, who actually does a really good job of stretching. It's nice to see the actress being able to do something uh, with the role. It's also, I, and I don't think this was on purpose, but it's an interesting twist because we've actually had O'Brien already get mind controlled and replaced by an alien over on TNG in the episode Power Play. So, you know, flip. Anyways. <clears throat> Now, I know that that's going to come across as crass, that I just don't like the inclusion of Paw Race into Star Trek, and I don't. I've decided not to really speechify about why, because there's another episode later involving a Dog and Kira and Jake, which I think will be a better example and episode to really sit and talk about why I don't really care for the Paw Race. So, moving past that... One of the things that's actually kind of cool in this episode, legitimately, is Rom. Now, I like Rom a lot. I've liked Rom pretty much ever since he started being a character. I just mentioned that Max Grodinchuk has good charisma. And I want to clarify that, because usually when people think of charisma, they think of strong, you know, likable people who, who broadcast that. But Grodinchuk manages something else. He's lovable. And that's harder to pull off than it sounds. He, he's not, he gets across as awkward, but in more of an adorable way than an uncomfortable way. At no point in time does he allow it to get, get the better of him. And he has this just natural enthusiasm and infectious, just kind of a, an idealism to him. He's a little teddy bear that occasionally other people roll their eyes at. But for the most part, people tend to like him. And I love his presentation of this episode. He, he technically has a bit of a B plot, but his plot merges seamlessly into the A plot, which is also good writing, by the way. So I'm, I'm totally with it. But I love that early part, because he sits there, and he's talking to, to Quark, and he, he's in waste extraction. That's not a good job. But two things about it, and he, he seizes on both of these points. First of all, waste extraction is not a waste. I swear I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> it's not. Rom is smart enough to recognize a simple truth. There are unpleasant jobs that have to be done. I mean, do you know how much of real-life space stations are all about sewage and plumbing? Specifically plumbing, I should clarify, because there's more to, you know, running the plumbing of a station than there is just dealing with the waste. So that's a big deal, and it's very important. So it makes a lot of sense that there needs to be someone to deal with that. He acknowledges that, and I point that out because a lot of people... Well, they get to the point where I've got the crap job, you know, more or less, literally. It's one of the reasons, let me let me segue this a little bit. I've worked as a janitor for a lot of my life. In fact, uh, as of when this video will go live, I will, actually I'm not sure about that. I think as of this video goes live, I will have officially had this job longer than my other longest standing career which would actually be as a janitor, although the network engineer place was the longest I had a specific job, but I worked as a janitor for a long time, is what I'm trying to say, about seven years. And you just kind of get used to the idea that that job really is necessary. there's There's a dignity in it, for lack of a better way to put it. And a good janitor makes decent money, as I've discovered. Now, I point this out because how many of you have looked down upon any of the people running the trash trucks, for example? No judgment. No judgment. But I've always found it... I always, I'm always, i always friendly with those folk. Because, I mean, I've been there, first of all. But second of all, because they're doing a hard job that is not very pleasant, but is extremely necessary. We know exactly what happens if trash trucks stop doing their job. There's There's been examples of that in real life history. So... What I'm trying to say is, not everyone seems to acknowledge the necessity of the crap job. Instead, all they focus, focus on is, I'm at the bottom of the barrel, right? So that's the first reason why I like Rom in this presentation. Again, it's that idealism. And he's smart, too. He's his own version of smart, as I've talked about before. The second thing I like about it is he does something that's very Star Trek. Now, I've actually had a couple of viewers comment on this, uh, positively and negatively both. The idea of the ambition of Star Trek. Because everyone has an ambition, right? Everyone wants to drive forward in their career. And it is a common thing. I don't know how true it would be in real life if it was available. Obviously it is not. We do not have a post-scarcity society in which to indulge in careers. Uh, We instead have to choose careers that pay the bills, you know? But, that being stated, I do like how Rom still has ambition. He is still trying to have upwards mobility. He is still striving to do better, happy when he gets to do it, and very pleased with himself when he finally gets there. He still has that ambition. And it helps because it, it makes him a little bit more Ferengi, first of all. But it also adds to his character because, well... It showcases the biggest reason why he took this job over continuing to work at Quark's. Because Quark's job was, it was always a dead-end job. The only way to go up was through Quark. That is the nature of Ferengi <sighs> careers, for lack of a better way to put it. Right? They're deliberately designed that the only way to move up the ladder is to push off the person the rung above you. And that's all deliberate. It's, it makes kind of an internal cutthroat society. But in the Bajoran sector and Starfleet, he can actually move up without that happening because that's the nature of an expanding force that has the resources and and facility in order to continue having an expanding worker base, right? And, of course, a retirement is fun. The idea is everyone just kind of works up and works up until they reach however high they're going to reach, and eventually they retire, either by being eaten by a salt vampire or by actually retiring, right? So there's room There's room for upward mobility. It's not a vague hope. It's something that will happen as long as he works hard at it. That being said, I do very much love the scene. I'm skipping forward, I know. But there's a scene where O'Brien meets with him. And Grom mentions two things in quick succession. One, he got the work done much quicker because he just focused on the work. Because he wasn't chatting with people. And number two, he... (sighs) Nobody really notices him. And that got, you could tell that got O'Brien's attention. For two reasons. One, because he could use him right now. But two, because O'Brien, over the course of this episode, learns just how much he can rely on Rom. Really. And he can. And one of the things that really warms my heart about this episode is the fact that for all the crap Rom had to go through, he does get his upward mobility. He is promoted to the day shift, and he's brought on as a mainline worker. And he got to celebrate with his peers last night. And that's awesome. I like it when good people get rewarded for it, you know? It warms my heart. So, then we get to the Paw Wraith. Now, what I like about the Paw Wraith is that it, I'm going to go with it, is wonderfully honest with O'Brien. It goes out of its way to be like, listen, I'm not your wife, I'm taking control of her, and here's how we're going to do this, so I'm going to stop her heart for a few seconds here, and then we're going to go forward from that, okay? And then it does, and it manages to get its point across. It also demonstrates something. So, one of the interesting things that science fiction, and fiction in general for that matter, has always had to get across is exactly how an infiltrator replicates the person they're replacing, whether it be a changeling or a holographic presenter or whatever, sufficiently as to avoid suspicion. Now, we know the way that the founders do it through intelligence lots and lots of very specific details when it comes to their intel so they can actually be like "Oh, okay so this is what they do at this point of the day and this is what they do at this point of the day and this is how they have their coffee you know all those little details and the founders have near-perfect memory something Odo has demonstrated several times thus they can remember all those details and utilize them the pareth here it has an interesting advantage because it just has access to everything that is her and is constantly using that so it is functionally portraying her fairly accurately because it knows, it can basically just ping her with what she would do and react accordingly. It's a, it's an interesting perspective on it. Unlike some others which don't have access to that type of, and that level of, of control and infiltration, where they just have to kind of wing it. Now, I do like that because I've I've, expl- I've complained so many times about people not noticing when people act oddly in Star Trek. By contrast, this actually works very smoothly. O'Brien is actually the one acting oddly. And he manages to slide it under the rug just long enough to get across what he needs to get done. And then he comes back and is like, okay, let me explain. (laughs) Let me explain. (laughs) It's all cool. Just everyone chill. I do like this, though. So first of all, they go to the party. I mention here again her acting she really does a good job of playing the Pa Wraith playing her it, it's it's trickier than it sounds and she does an excellent job of the role but um, they have the party scene they sing he's a jolly good fellow i hate that song and Jake has this funny little line i've always wanted to meet a pa wraith <clears throat> anyways and then miles is you could tell how much this is bothering o'brien really bothering him Because he is clenching so hard, subconsciously, not really thinking about it, that he snaps the glass he's holding in his hand. Think about that for a second. That is the level to which this is bothering him. And it makes perfect sense. This is another of those Torture O'Brien episodes, by the way, by design. And this is probably the only one I'm with, as far as the Torture O'Brien part. Because what he's going through is extremely unique. It is his birthday, surrounded by his friends and his family who love him. Oh, and also, by the way, your wife's been replaced by a murderess who is trying to do Lord knows what. You actually feel for O'Brien in this one. And this episode takes place over a very short period of time, basically a total of three days overall. So you can kind of get the feel for how much he is strained throughout this ordeal. So, (laughs) then the Wraith ups the ante with, ah, falling over the edge. What's funniest about this is the Wraith, at several levels, basically is holding her and, of course, Molly hostage. Now, that makes sense, but their control over that that is not quite sufficient. One of the things I find really awesome is O'Brien does a quick discussion with the computer. How fast can we set up a person to shut them down? Because we know the Wraith can almost instantaneously, within less than a second, kill, you know, or, or destroy, or otherwise utterly maim Keiko in a way that she cannot be recovered from. And so he needs to be able to disable that thing as quickly as possible. Hence the force field taking like two seconds or whatever, way too slow. And he manages to get down to like 0.9 with a phaser, which is still just kind of... And you notice he decides not to risk that, because that's still pushing it, and that's assuming you get the jump on it. I like that. It helps to show how most of what would consider to be the easy answers aren't viable in this case. Remember how I talk so often about how to challenge the heroes when they have access to such incredible tech. Redefining the, 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 the definition of victory is the best way to do that. Defeating the Pawraith? That's a joke. He could have done that within seconds, and he could have done it effortlessly. And really, there's nothing the Pawraith could have done to stop him. Stopping the Pawraith and salvaging Keiko. Well, that's much more difficult, and thus the definition of victory allows us to challenge O'Brien throughout this episode, and Rom. And Rom is, of course, wonderfully helpful in this. Not only did the two of them get more work done than they could have done solo, but Rom is a wonderful accomplice in all of this, being able to accomplish other side things. And let's be honest, if not for Rom, O'Brien probably would have never figured it out. And if he hadn't, well, things would have gone much worse. But Rom is observant. He has that pseudo-wisdom I've talked about before. So Rom puts it together. Why are we trying to kill the wormhole aliens? Huh? And of course he skips to the conclusion. Then he gives his evidence. Well, we're trying to do a chroniton beam directed at the wormhole, which will affect them and hurt them because they're temporally displaced. And O'Brien's like, of course. Of course, that makes perfect sense. I should have thought of that. And thus they have the new plan. Odo also puts it together fairly quickly, as he should. Odo is definitely more of a details person than a surface details person. You know, in-depth details versus surface details. He's very good at that, and he's always has been since season one. So him putting it together doesn't bother me. What I like most is that he approaches O'Brien fairly passively. His attitude, at least by my implication, is the idea that he's going to O'Brien saying, hmm, all right, you're doing something. What I don't understand is why. So let's figure this out, okay? And he probably didn't expect O'Brien to actually flat-out attack him. Also, it's funny, under other circumstances I would complain about one side punch knocking someone out, but then again, Odo is still pretty new to his body, so I'm willing to forgive that one. (laughs) Oh, and then poor Rom. I'm I'm turning you you in, Rom. Poor, Poor Rom. Oh my gosh. So, you know, Rom figures it out. They have the plan. They destroy the Paw Wraith, because it's so logical that a Paw Wraith would be affected by the same in the same way that the wormhole aliens would be. And this brings me to my final point. So she has a nice denouement. I'm gonna have to look up how to pronounce that someday because I keep saying it. About how horrible it was. This just this cold rage. And well. I think what I like most is that she acknowledges how hard he was working to make this work. To save her and salvage the situation and still try to alert people as best as he was capable within the means that were available to him. Basically, trying to negotiate out of a hostage situation. Anybody who's ever studied it knows a hostage situation is a lose-lose scenario for everyone involved. That's just the nature of the circumstance. The moment that hostage is taken, things have become bad, and basically will not get better, except by very extenuating circumstances. The fact that O'Brien was able to get through this is really only because of his work in coincidence with Rom's work, and a couple of long shots frankly, if the Paw hadn't been so eager to finally destroy the, the, the hated wormhole aliens, there's a pretty good chance it might have actually seen through this final deception. I would almost bet money that Keiko actually recognized that O'Brien was up to something, and the Paw wraith, again, was sufficiently swept up into the moment to not notice that. Either way, a surprisingly good episode, despite the inclusion of a Paw wraith. If, the, you know, I, if I could just talk for a second, I think if this was one of the only inclusions of the Paw wraiths, I'd be okay with it. I mean, obviously I'm kind of spoiling that, but this is not the last time we're going to see the Paw Wraiths in this show, and I think that's part of the problem. One outcast being torn out and then you know destroyed by O'Brien, okay, I'm kind of with that, but it's their inclusion in the future that really bothers me. Regardless, I hope you enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you guys next time.